Welcome to episode 32 of the Fight for Together podcast. You know, Courtney was saying that we should put like, you know how podcasts, well, I don't know if you listen to podcasts, but they put the most exciting clips from the most exciting like parts of the podcast. They put it in the very beginning so people get like hooked and they're like, I have heard that. And the problem is right now, and I hate to bitch and moan about this, but our budget is so low. When I say our budget, I mean our time uh, <laughs> for this project. That yeah. it's like sounds like a brilliant idea. But let me tell you guys, you have an exciting ride ahead of you tonight. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Dude, you gotta help me out a little here. <laughs> You're like, uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, In fact, we do like the opposite of that, where we are gonna take some time to pour some drinks and light some cigars. Yeah, so this is the point where you can, you know, do what you need to do to get ready to hear our podcast. Because it's gonna blow your mind. Actually, I don't wanna oversell it. <laughs> Oh, dang. I didn't, like, cut that right or something. I was, like, burn myself. Uh Uh-oh. And someone asked what we drink here. Oh, okay. Uh, We drink margarita ready-to-drink mix from Costco, Kirkland Signature. I'm drinking that tonight. And Ben is drinking De La Costa Sangria, also from Costco. Um... But it's not the Kirkland Signature Sangria Mix, which will be coming out soon. It's not as good to me. In fact, me. it could be out already. And that stuff's really good. Yeah, it's like... Highly recommend. It's like, what, 6 or $7 a bottle. And it's a bigger bottle than this. I'm sure some people can't see it, but... Hey, are you pouring drinks at all right now, or what are you doing? Well, it's hard to talk and pour at the same time, so take it away. Okay, here we go. That was supposed to be the segment where we pour drinks and light up so that we can get into the actual content. Um, Hang on. You want to hear this? This is what it sounds like. But it's not as good as the Kirkland signature, so... Yeah. Okay. To start off with, we got a cool letter. Yeah, we did. That we're going to read, because we like to start off our episodes with some feedback from the previous week, you guys' feedback. Yes, this is from Robin, who is actually a friend of ours in real life, which is cool. Ben and Cammie, after listening to your Black Sheep podcast, I wanted to say something. I thought it would be better to write because when I speak, I ramble on and lose the thought that I want to convey and know the feeling. I was sexually abused at 6 and 11, which led to me acting out as a teenager and being labeled a black sheep. I didn't know that was what I was doing. There was no internet to look stuff up on or people like you sharing stories. I was only ever told, stop acting that way, fit in. I was on a path of self-destruction that took years to change. I should be dead, like your friend. This blame of the black sheep is built into society 
But even today, when family members bring up those years, they will refer to me as a bad kid or whatever other adjective you use to refer to those types of people. I want you both to know how important it is that you are creating the safe and open community for people to speak their truth. If you can't speak truth, it will still speak only in the most destructive ways and its cost is real. Man, isn't that the truth? Yeah. That's heavy. It costs people their life. Stay strong. Oh, and here's $20 for the chair fund. Can you believe that? There was a $20 fucking dollar bill in there. <laughs> we just which like I'm going to put in the jar. Doubled. Almost doubled our... I'm going to add it up right now. I oh, know. We actually 50, have quite a bit. I don't there. know how this 50 got in there. Yeah, how'd that happen? 50, 20, another 20... 95, 96, 97, 98 dollars in the Whoa. chair fund. Wow, this is a, this is like happening. It's awesome. I'm gonna get a new chair. Just for you. It's well, just, we, just don't have an, we don't have enough. Or for we two switch chairs off yet. and on. Like I'll just, y'all take it one week. It's and for then the host. That's it. why the, That's oh. why those titles are. Nah, well, oh, okay. I don't know. Maybe the special guest has a nice chair. I'm just saying we should just switch off and on. Okay, well, hopefully. Or we could cut it in half, like biblical style. Uh, yeah, that, that works real well. <laughs> thank you, Robin. That yeah, thank that you. type of thing makes my day. Um, I'm going through this marketing, reading, and podcast and stuff, and they say that you really have to know who you want to reach. Because if you try and reach the wrong people, um, you might be constantly frustrated. And I think the easiest crowd for us to reach would be like the mainstream, like the white sheep, so to speak. And it's much, I consider myself a black sheep. So it's like, if I'm to be truly honest with what's on my heart, it means that a lot of the normal people or people that consider themselves normal might be ostracized by our message. But that makes it all worth it to me when I hear from someone that identifies with what we've been through or where we're at or what we're learning or something. So I really like that. Um, But we are going to start off today with some news, and I even found the sound effect. Welcome to Fight for Together podcast news. Okay. First news item today is vegan cafe that charged 18% man tax is set to close. That's the headline. (laughs) Oh, man. Can you start reading this a bit? Yeah. A cafe that caused controversy by charging male customers a man tax to bridge the gender pay divide is closing down. Handsome Her, a vegan cafe in Melbourne, Australia, sparked global debate in 2017 when it announced it would offer women priority seating and charge men an 18% premium to reflect the gender pay gap. After two years of trading, the cafe announced it would be closing its doors for good on April 28th. Co-owner Alexander O'Brien has not detailed the reason behind the move, but Handsome Her has endured a widespread backlash for its 
perceived reverse sexism. Hmm. Um, so the rules for this cafe that I was reading about, they had this like chalkboard thing. It's the rule number one, women have priority seating. Rule number two, men will be charged an 18% premium to reflect the gender pay gap, which is donated to a woman's service. Rule number three, respect goes both ways. I don't know, I don't know why you do and have rule number three if you yeah. have rules one and two. Yeah, seems like they're already taking care of that. I don't know what the point is. <laughs> so what do you think of that? Yeah. I think it's tough because I, I really don't like the inequalities that I see, specifically, yeah, the, the gender pay gap. Um, but I don't like penalizing other human beings for that. You know how I think they could have solved this? Yeah, you told me. Well, you got to act like you don't Oh, know. What? Tell me, smart man. Yeah. Oh, please. <laughs> um, please enlighten tell me. me. I am a woman. Yeah. Um, I do not know. Um, is if instead of calling it a tax, if they would have given, just charge the hell out of everything and then give women an 18% discount. Mm -hmm. Like I used to go to this restaurant in Seattle called Gordito's. Awesome burritos best mexican in all of seattle in my opinion if you go there look for the picture of our kid on the wall Falia. she's wrapped up tighter than the burrito best wrapped kid on the entire wall <laughs> and they did this brilliant thing where they showed you the menu and then it said the prices on the menu reflect a 10 percent cash discount Meaning, if you paid credit card, you paid more. But they didn't say, we're going to charge you a 10% fee. They said, if you pay cash, we're going to give you a discount. This is the exact same thing. <laughs> but no one wants a tax. It's like what you said. It's like a penalty for being a man. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't like that. So what if they were to discount women? Does that is it still Is it still weird? You know what's weird about this is I care more about the priority seating than I care more about the tax. Yeah, talk about that. Cause, so rule number two says women have, or sorry, that's rule number one. For some reason, like, okay, I don't fully agree with it, but okay, fine, charge men more money. But then you're not even going to give them a fucking seat? Like, what are they, fucking animals? Like, they're not better than women. Like, that's not the point I want to make. Um, the point I want to make is that they're just as good. Like women and men are just as good as each other. So they could sit on each other's lap. <laughs> I say first come first serve. Like you're there. I mean, it's like with any other restaurant, you're there. Um, but I, I honestly, do think that's it, trying it, a little hard. It does me. remind me of, and I know it's not like anywhere near the same, but it still reminds me of, uh, priority white seating. You know, when there was um, slavery or when there was discrimination, not slavery, but which was not so long ago, was not so long ago. So God bless it to me. It, it just feels like you're take you're trying to undo the discrimination that's been done to women. But by doing that, by discriminating men. So there's this famous quote. 
be careful when you fight a dragon, lest you become a dragon. Mm. Which I was told that was Nietzsche, but I don't even think it was him. Yeah. But all that to say, I applaud them still for standing up for it because someone's got to. So check out these comments. Who the fuck wants to go to a vegan cafe anyways? <laughs> Good point. Um, real men aren't vegan, so this won't affect them. Oh, dang. Cafe full of unshaven tofu gobbling feminazis. Who wants to be around that anyway? And finally, let me guess, they didn't have anyone around who could open jars, so the kitchen shut down. Oh, man. <laughs> that's, that's funny. I got to say, that's funny. Yeah. Um, okay. News item number two. And you guys know, at Fight for Together, we want to be the most trusted news source in the world, bringing you the best quality content that you need to know <laughs> to get through your day in a responsible manner. Headline number two is from the Independent in the UK that says, Woman shot husband dead after spotting porn channel on TV bill. Court hears. Patricia Ann Hill lost her mind and allegedly shot spouse twice in his shed. And it shows these two older looking folks. A woman who shot dead her husband quote lost her mind after spotting a porn channel on their satellite tv bill the court has heard dude i would lose my mind if if someone's billing porn on a credit card who would pay for porn when you can get it for free that's like you smoking my nice cigars i lose my mind over that well they're in their 60s so maybe they don't know about the internet i don't know patricia ann hill no offense to anyone listening to this that's in their 60s please uh, Patricia Ann Hill, 69, has claimed innocence due She's to 69. her. <laughs> I wasn't going to make that joke. Okay. Has claimed innocence due She's to. She's actually 69. <laughs> okay. Who's 69? Patricia Ann Hill is. Yeah. Has claimed innocence due to her mental state over the death last year of Frank Hill, 65 who was found by police wounded inside a shed at their home in pine bluff arkansas he later died in hospital man i why is that not surprising that's in arkansas um bible belt (laughs) is that what we're talking about here yeah, Bible Belt. <laughs> what else would it be? Technically, about? we're in the Bible Belt, but like barely. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened in Kentucky either. Yeah. I would not be surprised if that yeah. happened. Our neighbor almost killed us tonight. Um, okay, that's all the news. I hope that you guys found that. Um, well, So we don't need to talk about that because today's whole topic is actually about porn. So basically, we got these questions a couple weeks ago. And the first question is from Nicole. Would love to hear more about your thoughts on being okay with porn, the evolution of your views, and more in depth of what you currently believe. And do you know how many likes that has? Three thumbs up. Wow. That is huge in Fight for Together podcast world. It is. Oh, this is podcast. Yes, this is podcast. Oh, that is huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like a million. That's a, that's a million. Yeah, a million each. Equivalent. That's like three million. Okay. And the people then, have spoken. <laughs> in addition to that, it didn't end there. Emily wrote, "Yes, I'm interested in this, comma two 
period. Okay. And Emily, I think she sent us like 20 bucks for the chairs. Oh, wow. So that's like 3 million more votes. Definitely. So we can't necessarily be bought, but we kind of can. So when I saw this, I was like, we have to address this. Yeah. And this is based off, I think, something you said a while back, because being okay with porn is in quotation marks. Mm -hmm. I guess that they're quoting us. I know they're not quoting Patricia Patricia and (laughs) age 69. Can we just say that that's a sad story? I think that's a sad story. We're like laughing about it. Yeah, a spouse is killing another spouse. That's sad. That's a really stinking sad story. Okay. Wait, what's so sad about it? I mean, more sad than someone else killing (sighs) someone else. Right. No, it's not more sad than that. It's just that's sad. Like, death is sad. That's what you're death trying to Death is sad. And I think murder is even more sad. Murder and death are sad. Yes. 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 Definitely. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, um, we're talking about porn. And why we're okay with porn. So, I don't think that there's an easy way to do this without starting with our story right because before you start with being okay with porn um i i think it's actually almost easier to talk about like not being okay with porn all the years we were not okay with porn and what that even means right what does that mean yeah so can you start because i'm enjoying this cigar okay where am I going to start? Um, Actually, heck, I think well, I should start. Because I was into porn. Yeah. Way before you. And I, you were into porn. I was, wasn't into porn for most of our marriage. No, I'm talking or what are, way before marriage, though. Yeah, right. That's true. And I didn't even really know, knew porn existed before we got married. I don't think. <laughs> That's a funny thing to say out loud. Yeah. You were, you were very sheltered. I was very sheltered. I was special. special but I saw my first um, porn magazine in fifth grade. Yeah, so that's like 10 years old. That's pretty young. And it blew my mind. <laughs> I mean, I was like, this is amazing. Did you feel like that was bad? Oh yeah. Yeah, you you like you're like. Oh, I went to the kit the guy's bathroom at the elementary school, mm-hmm. Sycamore Elementary School in Claremont, California, and I had never had that type of adrenaline. Um, the thing is, I think I might have been, you know, it's probably right at that age where I was like even able to get a boner or get aroused. I don't, I don't even know if it was a sexual arousal thing. Yeah. As much as like uh, you're excited. The ultimate discovery of the forbidden. Right. Which we'll get into later. But you know, I don't remember like like I said, I wasn't masturbating at this age. I, I, I consider myself pretty young. I Yeah. But yet it was so interesting you're to like me. You're like ten or eleven, that is pretty young. And I got caught. I got caught by my the principal and the parent or my parents or something. <clears throat> so I got a lecture and I they took the magazine away, which I had bought. Oh. Um, that's a bad investment, as it turned out. How did you get caught? This is such a side tangent, but I, I hid the magazine no. in my jacket. 
in, I think I put it in the lost and found. You put your jacket in the lost and found? I don't know why. I just, no, I put it there. Maybe it was in the lost and found, but it was some sort of jacket place. And they knew that was your jacket. I guess, because. How would they know to even look in the jacket? Cammy, I, I ask myself this question all the time. <laughs> How I don't know. Oh. I mean, it's tragic, I know. Okay. So anyways, um, that became like really my first experience that I remember with porn. And I don't know. There was other experiences, I guess, in high school. The internet was like just not around really. Yeah. But then college and married years, and it was like, so we grew up in a Christian family, and porn was 100% wrong, bad. That's more the message I got probably from church and books and literature than my actual parents. But it was like, there was, it was, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And then getting into, we, we've done podcasts about this, but like the ICAS dating a buy scene, like reading between the lines, you know, everything around porn was kind of wrong too. So like if you look at a woman and if you were to say, damn, she has like nice boobs or I wonder what she looks like naked mm-hmm. or I want to have sex with her or I guess that goes beyond porn. But um, yeah, well, I think anything... We grew up with anything sexual that was outside of marriage was just wrong. Which even the Bible camp we went to had the rule, right? It was like, there was like five S's. Swearing, smooching, no smooching, unless you had a wedding ring. That was like one of the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was, there was just like, it was like no sexual activity outside of marriage. And porn was viewed as sexual activity. And masturbation is also included. yeah like that was highly frowned upon, and it was like people didn't usually point to like book chapter and verse, but but it was like you know the guys groups I was in there was like this giant like confession circle where everyone would always like share about how they screwed up that week, and when someone said they screwed up, you always knew it meant porn and generally masturbation but it was like porn it was and it was like 20 year old horny guys in a college well, dorm yeah what what really stands out to me now as you're saying this is you were confessing being a sexual being dang it i'm a sexual being and you're expressing your sexuality and you weren't even necessarily hurting someone else although i know that that can be argued in these very conservative circles. Oh, hell yeah, that can be argued. Because what people say is that it's a whole thing's a sex slave industry. That's how people paint it as. And I'm sure there's sex slaves in it, but I'm also convinced that most of the stuff is not. Yeah. It's voluntary. And it's you the big argument really is that it's using people. Um which it's fine to use people for other things, but for some reason in this realm, all of a sudden it's like not fine. But probably the biggest thing is that it's, you know, if monogamy and if sex is only for marriage and if marriage is one man, one woman and um, for life, like divorce is an option, gay marriage is an option, 
then the picture that was painted was that this was like the equivalent of cheating because when you look at someone else naked and think a sexual thought, then that's outside of biblical marriage as we were painted that picture outside of God's monogamous plan. So it was like, it was the equivalent of cheating. And people would talk about this one Bible verse where Jesus said, if you lust, then pluck out your eye or it's the same as adultery or something like, you know. Yeah. You know, Matthew 5, 6, yeah. 7. Yeah, it's so frustrating people use that verse, but. <laughs> so, okay, so you guys are getting a picture of the before. Yeah. And we get married and I'm still interested in porn because I like naked women. And Cammie has like no, no I'm interest. Like kind of a bit, I don't know, not that this, I'm like the clinical term of this, but. I had like repressed so much of my sexuality for because of how I was brought up and because of I just a ton of shame around it um, because of how I was brought up. And so I kind of just didn't want anything to do with sex, really. Like, I don't know if that's completely true. You did before we got married. I did before we got married. And then after we got married. Which we didn't. So we, so we stayed technically uh we didn't have intercourse we before did everything got married. but except hanky kissing panky. yeah no there was hanky panky oh. Is that, isn't that intercourse isn't that no. another word for intercourse okay thank you thank you okay hanky, we did hanky. everything but intercourse oh and we didn't kiss yeah that's the clincher <laughs> we got to get moving on this because we're, we're spending so okay. much time on the backstory about yeah. why porn is not okay but what these people want to hear what nicole and emily are asking is our transition on being okay yeah. with it so what? Fast forward? Are we fast forwarding now, or are we still? We fast forward until we start going to counseling. Three years ago, yeah, we have an anniversary where we watched Fifty Shades of Grey, just like the sex scenes, which wasn't technically considered porn in our books. <laughs> um, the gateway. And I still like. I looked at porn off and on, but I always felt guilt about it. Well, yeah, and you went to sex. Alcoholics Anonymous to try for and stop. eight years to try to stop. Which helped in some ways, and in some ways it actually completely didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did, like, abstinent times, which I actually don't regret. Like, during those years, I think they, like, did other stuff. It was good for us. But but we – you were always trying to tame this, like, tame the beast or tame something. Like, you know, make sure you walk the straight and narrow, which is – don't look at porn. Don't masturbate. So I started reading these articles that really started addressing what's behind um, the problems with marriage that are blaming the problem on porn. And mm-hmm. what they said is your problem's not – the articles had like your problem's not porn or something like that. Mm-hmm. And what it said was, you know – very rarely is porn ever the real problem. And then without like too much, I I just don't want to get into like, I'm not going to defend this biblically. That's not what we're in the business of doing. But as we started to look at our arguments against porn, which were biblical from our perspective, we started to see that they were actually fairly thin. That, yeah, you could come up with that. But also kind of like Cammie said, if, if you're 
thing as well, you're just using that person. Then how come we're okay with going to the grocery store and checking out from the grocery store? Like we're just using those people. Like, I don't really care about the day. I just want my groceries like for the price I paid and I want them kind of fast because I'm in a rush right now. And no Christian will ever say that's using people because it's consensual because we're both agreeing that this is a fair transaction right now right um so all that to say like the arguments against it for us all of our arguments against it started to fall apart and i think my biggest thing that i started to get interested in was while I had spent my entire life trying not to want to look at porn or think of other naked women besides Cammy. Um, what I realized was not trying to think about it gave it a lot more power uh, and turned it into this beast of mythical proportions than other environments that we had seen for example in europe you know where there there's more toplessness and porn's more readily available and people like tend to kind of just like ignore it it's like not that big of a deal to a lot of people and i can't speak for all europeans but that was the tone i got that for some people even like you know people that didn't grow up in the faith communities we did like they looked at porn and they didn't care about it and i was like blown away by that because to me even though i like didn't give myself access to it most of the time deep down i believed that it would solve my problems mm. or be endlessly like entertaining. The Holy Grail. Oh, totally. I thought looking at naked women would never get old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So although I had, you know, dedicated a large portion of my life to trying to end or curb this desire, it wasn't working. And, and there was a few psychological things that we learned in that time period about that. There's the phrase, what you resist persists. Mm-hmm. And there's the whole, like, uh, there's a phenomenon in counseling or psychology. I forget what it's called, but it's basically like try not to think about a pink elephant. And the second I say that, all you're thinking about is a pink elephant. Yeah. Um, combined with the fact that our biblical or moral arguments against it, we no longer had them anymore. So the big ones were, like like I said, it's using people. The other one is it's cheating on Cammy. Um is that a kid coming down the stairs? I kind of think so. I'll be right back. Pause, people, for... Sorry, Kami's walking away, but then it's like I'm always stuck with this decision of do I fill her in or... So, yeah, so that... it was. But let me tell you guys. This was a really interesting time period for us because it at first it was very, um, I don't want to say sad, but this is what really pisses me off is people from our faith community, I think, look at this time period and they say, oh, you're just justifying this. You're taking the easy way out because you want to justify porn. And to that, I would just say, fuck you. Having the constraints of porn and just believing that something is absolutely wrong is so much easier 
And it's such an easier way to navigate life and find where you are and judge yourself and other people by that when you take that away, it's like, it's so disorienting. And we never would have chosen it on our own, except for I think we were kind of like forced to start asking some of these questions as we started asking broader questions about this faith community. So it was not the easier, but it also felt like we were cheating because I was like, wait, if this thing isn't wrong, now what? You know, do we just look at porn all day? Like, is that what people who don't believe it's wrong do? Like, that's actually what I thought might happen. So it kind of like freaked me out. I mean, it was actually like, it was, it was a rush in that I felt like a guy being let out of a prison, you know, and I could just go like do anything or like it was the last day of school. And now I had like the whole summer ahead of me, but it also was kind of scary too, because it was like, Oh, I used to know where these lines were and where these, what this box I was in, I knew exactly where the edges of it were. And I mean, never, never mind the fact that we're vlogging five days a week and sharing our story with people and people are sometimes against our will painting us out to be this moral do good family. And a lot of that stuff we haven't talked about on the vlog just because I just don't know how it fits. We talk about sex all the time and, and stuff as it comes up, but we don't get into these like long discussions where we can like really, really elaborate and storytell slowly. So I just trust that people that are going to care are going to come find it over here. Um, otherwise my guess is there's, there's a lot of people that watch us that would be like absolutely horrified um, if they found out some of the things that we talk about on this podcast, which is kind of funny. So don't tell anyone over there, please. All right. Cammy's coming back and she's walking past the cat that they have kind of this codependent relationship. Cammy has this codependent relationship with every pet in the house because she, well, a cat needs food, but but it's not, it's your not cat. my cat, but, and the cat won't let me get by without stepping on it. Hmm. Okay. All right. Back. You need to talk some because I just talked a bunch. Yeah. Where were you at? Where are you at? Well, I shared about, uh, what I did was I summarized people and saying, if you're one of those types of people that's going to tell us that we took the easy way out by just justifying porn, I basically said, go fuck yourself because <laughs> that is not how we ended up there and this route was not easier than leaving that rigid standard that although it was difficult it's also incredibly empowering to believe something that firmly to believe that it's porn's wrong wrong yeah yeah no i think we i mean this is like huge for us to not believe it's wrong given our history but yeah. Um, and it's it's not really even something that I don't know. Not that I don't not like talking about it, but it's it's a bit of a polarizing subject because you don't even have to be religious to believe that porn is wrong or it's damaging or it shouldn't be around or like just villainizing it to no end i mean i hate to even say this but i'm you guys pay us the big bucks to be honest here a huge portion of people that listen to this podcast and i'm just gonna say especially the females i think 
are going to hate this message because they will feel super insecure if they knew their men were thinking about or looking at other women in a desirable way. And therefore, because of that insecurity, it is easy to justify and paint an entire morality around something that basically is to keep you from not feeling unloved. And then people, and that's fine if we call it that, if we're just like, I can't handle it, so I don't want my husband to look at porn. And if you guys, if your spouses or partners or whoever it is, if you guys both agree to that, do whatever the fuck you want. I don't care. But then when we, when we create entire moralities and say the Bible is saying that, just because you're afraid and you can't handle a man looking at another woman or thinking that a man is thinking about another woman, that's not, that's not necessarily morality. That's insecurity. And then that becomes yeah. codependency. And the way I've made sense with this is... I don't feel like I own Ben's sexuality. I think that's what I was taught, that he owned mine and I owned his. And I don't believe that anymore. I don't think I have a monopoly on your sexuality. I do think that we agreed to something. Like we agreed to be like sexual partners and to... I think we have like an understanding between the two of us that we would be open and honest and wouldn't, wouldn't hide something from the other person. I think that's the most destructive thing about porn for, while we're on that topic. Yeah. I, is the hiding and sneaking and shame. But it, it's not even just, it doesn't even have to be porn. You no, know, it could be Red Bulls. Yeah. And, and I do see how that could be very corrosive to a relationship. But it's not, I think it's... But I'm talking about sneaking and lying and, and untrusting someone. You're not talking about... I'm not talking about porn. Tits. No. And I think for you, for me to think like, oh, he better not have any thoughts that are not about my body or he better never look at any videos or any pictures that aren't of my body. I'm just like... That seems kind of boring to me. Like boring. Yeah, like I mean, for me to have that, for me to basically put you in a box and say like don't move, like to me that's <laughs> I mean, I guess that's what marriage is to most people. And in a way like yes, we do have boundaries with each other. But I feel I don't really want to try to control your sexuality. Um, and I wouldn't want you to control mine. Um, and I think when we start controlling each other's... Which we believe, by the way, about every other area of yeah, life. Yeah, it's not just sexuality. It's like what you eat. If I'm like, no, you need to eat the same foods I eat. I think a lot of people would agree with the other parts. A lot of people would be like... I mean, wouldn't it be weird if I were like, Ben, you, this is the menu of what you're going to eat today. And you better not think of steak because you're not going to be eating steak today. You know, you're going to be eating vegetables. But the problem is, 
in the religious context we were raised in, sex is seen as this incredibly larger than life, 100% sacred. I mean, it was like huge to a point where it defines your personhood. You know, you're a virgin or you're not a virgin. Um, oh, yeah, it's like. I mean, it was it was bigger than anything else, and therefore the activity around it, which porn is, of course, largely sexual. I don't think a lot of porn is necessarily. I think it's porn fits a wide variety, and that's one of the other my other beefs with being anti-porn is where do you draw the line? And it's really it's so fascinating to hear how people do that because, like, okay, is Game of Thrones porn? Well, a lot of Christians that are their way of discounting all of it is like, well, the whole thing soft porn. Mm-hmm. just the sex scenes or like the dragon scenes too like well what about michelangelo's david okay that's not sexual but it's naked well what if someone gets aroused by it is that wrong like what like you have to like and and ultimately you just settle on some somewhat arbitrary thing where you're like okay no humping and no naked women from after the 1960s <laughs> well it's arbitrary across all like christian lines like there's not one definition of this purity code um and i think the problem with making something like sex larger than life you can call it an idol you can call it a god you can call it like i don't know what but just this huge 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 thing that i don't think it was ever meant to be that huge you start creating problems that weren't even there to begin with. Like someone's sexuality becomes now a problem to be solved. And this is one of the byproducts we notice of this environment, by the way, while we were still following it to a T or at least attempting to, yeah, was our sex life was more or less a disaster for the first 10 years. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I say that somewhat open-handedly because you know, given our context, I think we were doing the best with what we got. But for, like, being pure and being virgins, I mean, Cammy had never been with a guy. I had had one girlfriend that I had kissed. Um, you know, we did everything right, quote-unquote, and we enter marriage with no sexual history to speak of and massive amounts of shame That's around sex. That's crippling, like, utterly crippling, where... You know, we're having sex and I'm crying and I don't know why I'm crying. It's not because Ben's like hurting me. It's because I didn't even know what the fuck was going on. But I think I was just so riddled with like shame and I didn't know how to handle your sexuality. I sure as hell didn't know how to handle my sexuality. I saw it as like something to like it was so dang important that it was like scary. Sexuality was like almost a problem to solve. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that with the emphasis the Christian world has on this or the puritanical world, it's almost impossible to have this standard without it becoming larger than life. Yeah. And this is what we've noticed on both sides of it. Now that we we spent a lot of time kind of defending the standard and now we spend uh, you guys notice probably a fair amount of time really fighting the standard is that the people, the Christians that are, um, or the religious folks that are holding the standard, 
I think are more obsessed with sex than anyone else in the world. Yeah. That's actually my experience. Yeah. And I speak as one of them for a lot of years. Like my identity, I was always thinking about it, even in the context of what I shouldn't be doing, what I shouldn't be thinking, Mm -hmm. how I shouldn't be engaging. What, what if I had done this? What were the, I mean, I'm doing good with this. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so we got a few more things to talk about, um, that I are just so interesting to me. So I, there's this tweet that I saw this week that I want to get your thoughts on Cammy. Okay. So this is Eric Sprankle. I've never heard of him before. I just saw this tweet and I was like, oh, I like that. Your midweek reminders. Sex doesn't have to include love. Hmm. Let's just go through these one by one. Well, but not, okay. we'll, we'll spend like 20 seconds. That would have been, okay, so this masturbation does not include love. And that was like banned. Or even like hookup, like... Because you want to have sex with someone. Animals having sex yeah. doesn't include love, but but that's like not wrong because they're not humans or capable of love, was what we were told. Yeah. But th- this is like um, common in the psychological realm, and this is, is very anti-religious, th- these statements, I think. But yet now this is actually starting to make sense to me. Yeah. Even you and me, there's times when we fuck... And we're like, it's not about making love. Yeah. It's about hormones or energy or, or physical release or tension or stress. And I think, so you could argue, well, you at least have a relationship or a marriage. Okay, yeah, we do. But what about people who don't, but they need that too because they're human? Well, people would say they don't really need that. And I would disagree. They can give that up. But I have said, if we get divorced, I do want to still fuck you so even if we don't love each other <laughs> okay. up for that. well and i think it i will say that some people maybe don't need that but i i do not think you should put every human being on the earth into that category okay point number two love doesn't have to include sex yeah that's probably more obvious everyone could probably agree with that right Right, because okay. there's all these other loving relationships you have that you don't Point have number sex. three, sex and love don't have to include commitment. So love doesn't, right? You can love someone and, and not be committed. You're, you're not committing to them for the rest of your life. And but sex, we see sex like, oh, you can only have sex with someone if you're going to die with them. Yeah. That's how we were raised. so limiting, but I guess people would argue oh that's a good limitation okay the next point commitment these all kind of sound the same commitment doesn't have to include sex and love okay so you can commit to people and you don't have to love them like this is in the business world every contract is a commitment of some sort probably not having sex with them if you're in whatever business Okay. okay this is the final main point your life doesn't have to include sex romantic love or commitment like you're still a whole person mm. if you that's choose not huge. to have sex. That's huge because I think our in our culture, but especially in the religious culture, if you're not married, it's like, you yeah, know, you might as well die. And this is where this bleeds in. Like a lot of people think, oh, this is such a convenient belief. Of course it's true. And they don't see any victims to it. Right. But if you have a sexual drive, but you can't get married for some reason... Or if you're divorced, 
or if you're single perpetually, or, then yeah. you will not fit into that Christian culture. Yeah, or you have a sex drive and you don't want to get married. Like, yeah, all of that. And last but not least, stay, stay hydrated. hydrated. <laughs> Which is important. You should always... Especially I if think, you're having sex. like that. Well, or if you're running. And some people around here, when we run, they don't listen. Hey, I've been listening recently. All right. Listen to this. Sex doesn't have to include love. <laughs> okay. So finally, a story. And this is from our life this week. And this is a doozy, doozy, doozy. Um, which is funny because this started off as a theoretical story. So we have these neighborhood libraries, these like local libraries. They're local. just say, like boxes in front of people's houses. Yeah. And they have books in them that people like donate. And then you can like take the book or leave a book. And around here, like we're in a low income area. Not that that has anything to do with it, but there's like a lot of romance novels in these um, <laughs> um, libraries. Uh, along with toddler books and bibles and romance novels <laughs> and i used to take it as my job to walk around and to uh rearrange these books or not rearrange but um like move them around like swap them out from one library to the next because what'll happen is like they get stale like it'll be the same books there for weeks so i'll take this whole batch and when i'm on these conference calls i just like walk around and move the books that's, to different that's very neighborly of you i felt like i'm doing my part <laughs> Um, and we, I'd see these romance novels in, well, growing up, that's basically like the female version of porn. Like, this is what I taught. Okay. And porn is bad. It's just using people, right? It's promoting fantasy. These are the things that I I would believe it's distracting you from reality. It's cheating. But I stopped believing these things and I started seeing these romance novels around so I, like my guys group, I toss this question, like, what would you guys do with these romance novels? Like, do you, are you okay with them? Like, knowing your kids could grab them, would you, do you feel like we should, like, go and destroy them, you know, if you're morally opposed to it? Like, if it's, you know, if it was a Playboy there, then most people would think, like, oh, you should, like, not have that there. <clears throat> and I was one of the only people at the time, I think, that was, like, I don't have a problem with these things. And and the way my mindset had changed was seeing, instead of like what our um, counselor was categorizing as dualism, right and wrong, black and white, good and bad, everything was dualistic and black or white. In fact, that was the biggest characteristic of religion. And dualistic people tend to gravitate towards those systems of thinking. It's very black or white. And instead, we were seeing things more along, I don't even know how to categorize the opposite, but there's like, it's like a spectrum and it's complicated, okay? So instead of just looking at being like, that's porn, that's bad, I might look at that and say, what about the woman who just, you know, maybe she was doing massive amounts of heroin, getting raped every day. And this is going to sound ridiculous, but I don't I actually don't think it is. And then she picks up a book on romance and is um, emotionally moved by it to a point where she actually believes in the value of human connection again. 
and maybe not all people are bad and maybe love is possible and maybe human connection is good and this story this romance novel is the only way she's going to get that she's not walking into a church she's not picking up the five fucking love languages by chapman or whoever she's not reading our christian stuff she's not she's not going to fly by that standard <clears throat> but maybe this version of sexuality is more healthy for her than her previous version of sexuality. What do we do about that as Christians? And the Christianity I was a part of before all this would have said, eh, wrong. Porn's bad. Romance novel's bad. Eh. There's the only response that's possible. Instead of saying, man, that is so cool that you haven't been raped today. That's amazing that you were able to walk away from that situation. And yeah, isn't human connection cool? And, you know, we could talk about marriage, monogamy, and porn long-term. I think it's a really interesting discussion. Can it add value and for how long and how do you know? And, you know, how when are, when does it benefit a situation and when does it not? Like, to me, those are really fascinating discussions. But, but we cannot have those as long as the first thing that you declare is if something is right or wrong, basically, therefore, determining whether or not people should feel shame about it or not. It's definitely a... Uh conversation killer so then this week <clears throat> you want to share your story cammy yeah i found all this huge stack of romance novels under cammy's pillow <laughs> son of a um i was cleaning out rainier's bed and let's skip all the details yeah it's really want to get into <laughs> the kid okay um I found a romance novel in our house and I picked it up and I was like, first I was like, oh crap, this is a romance novel, I think. And, and then, so that was my first thought. And then my second thought was, well, what's wrong with this what's wrong with one of my one of my kids reading this like maybe they're curious maybe uh their sexuality is blooming maybe you know all these things and they're you know just curious sexual human beings like we all are um and then my third thought was oh crap i should probably talk to this kid about this and I wasn't really looking forward to that. But at the same time, I was glad to have the opportunity because I feel like sex is something that's hard for me to talk about with my kids. But it was like this fell into my lap to talk about it. So I went to this kid and just said, hey, well, <laughs> first of all, I just I had this brilliant insight to not make this a big deal like i think in the f in the past i would have sat this kid down and and made it all kind of scary and serious and i didn't want to do that but i also didn't want anyone else around so i kind of picked i found this opportune moment where there wasn't anyone else around and just in passing i said i i kind of showed the book i was like hey uh is this yours or did you read this and they right away kind of looked down and, and got all flushed in the face and 
It's like, well, I was actually cutting it up for art purposes, which the book was a little cut up, but anyways. And yeah, I kind of read some of it, but it was kind of weird. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's okay that you read it. Um, uh, some of it might be kind of weird, like you said. Um, some of it might be kind of fake. Some of it might not be fake. I don't know. I haven't read the book, but I'm just guessing. And, you know, maybe you're a little young for this stuff, but I, I don't, it's okay. Like, it's okay if you want to read it. And then I just walked away. <laughs> that was that. Which to me, it's weird. I totally get it because I've said this thing a million times to our kids. But this whole, that's fake, you know? Because yeah. there's a part that's fake, but then there's a part that's not. Mm. You know, like, if we found an X-Men book in our kids' bed, we would we have to be like, hey, need, hey, yeah. hey, just so you know, uh, I just want you to know, okay? Just to protect you. Uh, yeah, superheroes don't really shoot lasers out of their eyes. <laughs> it's it's fake. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I felt like maybe I was protecting the kid in some way by saying that. Like saying for their future sexual experiences, so that they're not like, "What the? I thought this worked this way." But yeah, I see. I see that is interesting. I, it was probably yeah. It's, that's interesting. I I think it would be maybe you know the the what I'm comfortable with with porn or romance novels is saying, "Hey, these are exaggerated." I mean, porn especially. I don't want to call it fake because. It's um, it's real people. You know, they're making real noises, and a lot of times they're real body parts. A lot of times they're not real body parts, but it's staged. And you know, like if you watch a movie, we don't say it's fake. Fake has a negative connotation, like as if that's not, you know, you wouldn't watch Les Mis and be like, well, that's fake. We're like, no, that's a staged. Like that has a theme and it has a depiction. I think it can get dangerous if people think that porn actually just like wrestling. Or like cartoons. If you watch a cartoon, you're like, oh, mice actually go around with hammers hitting cats on the heads. Mm-hmm. You know, which that's a little bit far-fetched because <clears throat> kids are exposed to that, which most kids aren't exposed to sex until a later age. But but to me, that's actually been a helpful analogy even just for myself. Instead of all of this obsession over, you know, we don't go to adults and we're like, don't watch cartoons, they're fake. Don't watch cartoons, it's fantasy. Mm-hmm. We assume that adults will watch them and then they'll move on from them because they're actually not that interesting to adults. Yeah. They don't scratch that itch anymore because it's very two-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And as you mature and you grow and you like have all the access to watch all the cartoons you ever would have dreamed of, you yeah. know, that I couldn't watch as a child, you don't want to watch them anymore because they're boring. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways not all the ways, but that's what I've seen happen with us with porn and one of our strategies with our kids, although, I mean, it is such a crazy world where they have access to this type of entertainment. It's not just porn. It's really any Netflix or, you know, any 24-7 access. It's it's a strange world. I, I'm not super confident in what we're doing. Well, one of the things I did feel confident in in this interaction was I did not want to feed any sort of shame to my kid around their sexuality or someone else's sexuality. Um, 
And because I've just seen the incredibly harmful effects of shame around sexuality in my own life and in other people's lives. Okay, so we have one more clip to listen to. And I'm really excited about this clip. It's a bit of a longer one. I think it's like three minutes. And actually, Robin, the person that donated the 20 bucks, is the person that introduced me to this speaker. This is a guy named Peter Rollins, and he's on a podcast called The Bible for Normal People that this is a clip from. All those links will be in the show notes. He has a cool Irish accent. It's badass sounding. Um, And this is, you guys, you know, there is a... um, our background is spiritual, Bible-based, evangelical Christianity, and that is the background of some of these people, and some of them, they'll quote the Bible a bit, and they'll quote, I believe, Jesus, but I don't think that these thoughts are limited to that. I think if you grow up, in, especially in America, where we have a puritanical Christian background as a culture, that all of these things apply. So that's, you know, we're not we're not trying to, like, push a belief system, Um but there is that is some of the context here. So I'm going to play this. It's a longer clip, um, but I think you guys will enjoy it. Christianity is about a radical embrace of life, an affirmation of the world and the people around us. And actually in that affirmation, that is the affirmation of God, which I think by the way, Bonhoeffer understood at the end of his life. I think Paul Tillich understands this. And, and some others. I, and I would tie in, because when you're talking, it also makes me think that, and maybe this is, may take us a while to get there, but I think Paul, you know, St. Paul kind of gets this in some ways oh, yeah. too, where it's funny that we talk about Paul as sort of the one who introduces all these rules and regulations after Jesus sort of has this radical grace message. But I think when we talk about Paul and the law and his idea, like his insight that it's the law that creates the desire, it's the prohibition yeah. That creates the desire. And if we get rid of the prohibition, if the law is no longer relevant, then that grace sort of dismantles that whole system. So do you yeah. see Paul in that same trajectory in some sense? Absolutely. This is I think, one of the deep insights of Paul is that he, he sees that the law, which is the prohibition, actually generates our desire to transgress. You know, And of course, the simple example is, well, here's two examples because they're slightly different. One would be if two children are playing and one child has a toy, the other child looks at it and they start to desire the toy because the other person has it. The prohibition is, oh, they're not allowed to play with the toy because the other child has it. So that very prohibition suddenly makes the toy seem magical. It's not just a little, you know, teddy bear. It's like, oh my goodness, if I could play with that, then I'd be happy. The child literally isn't thinking that, but the child is feeling that. And the more their child's not allowed to play with the toy, the more the child might enter into, uh, you know, a tantrum, going like, I just need that toy, I need that toy, until the prohibition's lifted and the kid can have the toy and then very quickly they'll lose interest. The, the other example is where a child has a toy. They just have a regular toy, but then someone takes the toy away from them. And in the process of taking away the toy, the toy becomes magical. It becomes sacred. It becomes something wonderful. In psychoanalysis, one's called castration and the other's called fear of castration. <laughs> so either you don't have the object you want and it's terrible, or as soon as something starts to get taken away from you, the fear of the loss of it makes it seem incredible. And so Paul's answer to this is you abolish the law, not to get rid of the law, but to fulfill it. 
that love is something that doesn't put up obstacles. Like, for example, if you love the library system, you don't need to be punished, you know, like with uh, fees for bringing in books late. You're going to bring the book in on time. Your love, in a sense, it's, it's a different form of being in the world that takes away the prohibition and therefore takes away the desire to transgress the prohibition. Maybe one, one, one other example, a true example of someone in therapy, a woman who was sleeping around and she felt really guilty about it. But she thought, well, at least I guilt, feel guilty because that would stop me from sleeping around even more. But as she started to feel less guilt for sleeping around and she worked it through, she's like, who cares what my parents think? Who cares what whatever? If that's what I want to do, that's what I want to do. She discovered that as the guilt began to disappear, so did the desire to do it. That, you know, we think the guilt is what stops us from doing the activity, but the guilt is actually what fuels it. So you get rid of the guilt and then you, you get rid of the activity that the guilt is seemingly holding back. And of course, then the, the woman can decide whether she wants to sleep around or not, but it's no longer this unhealthy kind of drive that's within her. Wow. What do you think about that accent? <laughs> huh? Yeah. It's magical. <laughs> Ooh, dang. It's magically delicious. I can't do it very well. Um, so you've never even heard that clip. I realize I'm just mm-mm. dropping that on you. But it was actually the last part that was the most powerful to me is when you take away guilt from something, it actually makes the behavior or the feeling or whatever it is less relevant to you. Like you're... But when you have guilt, when guilt guilt actually fuels the behavior that you want to you stop. You think it's going to stop your thing. That's crazy. So it's like insanity, basically. But guilt but. never works. Like, mm-hmm. And this is what they're saying. Like, Paul recognized that. And you guys, like, I do not even want to get into, like, I mean, this guy references the Bible. That is not our reason for doing this, for looking at porn or being okay with porn or letting our kids look at romance novels or whatever. I'm not going to mount some biblical theological defense and be like, the Bible says in John 3, 18, porn is okay. Like, if you want to get into Greek and Hebrew, you do whatever you want. But what we found is that the our reasons in using the Bible for being against porn were shallower than we thought. And in our experience, people will use the Bible to defend whatever they already want to believe. Oh. Um, so I just want to say that because... When, anytime you bring the Bible into it in certain circles, it becomes this instant debate of like the Bible is either for or against something, period. Well, and then that's a very dualistic way of looking at the Bible and life. Okay, anything else you want to say about that? That I just had to laugh at the toy thing because I totally, totally understand that. It is, it is really interesting, fascinating to watch two, three, four-year-olds playing with a toy like two of them. I just saw this with Rainier. You know, this other little kid came over and was playing with his car. And Rainier hardly ever plays with his car. But for some reason, well, I know now, it became magical to him because this other kid was playing with it. And then I said, you know, what every parent probably kind of says is, let him have a turn first, and then you can have a turn. Made it more magical. Yeah, and then by the time he could have a turn, he's like, eh. Well, Whatever. we should have done is chop the car in half. <laughs> well, and we've experienced this in multiple areas of our life. One being when we were married, we were broke as a fucking joke, 
going out to date night once maybe a month and we split a meal. Cammy wanted to go every night because that's what she was used to with her parents. I know. I but, married into poverty. But then, <laughs> but then we were fucking rich and not a whole lot of years later, let's yeah. say 10, 12 years later, yeah. making more money than we knew what to do with. And all I remember was we could go to Olive Garden every single night. And I started hating Olive Garden. The second we could go there every oh. night, it stopped being special. Instead like, of just going there once a month. It was magical. Splitting a salad. Oh, all you can man. eat salad. All you can eat breadsticks. We would like dream of it. Remember? Yeah. I'd be like, oh, if we could only go twice. Or like, oh, I loved it. Your parents would take us there and they'd pay for it. But then once yeah. we had it, all we wanted, it was like, mm. it's like, wasn't even like, I wanted it because I couldn't have it. And of course, where we're going with this, our other experience with this even though it's still in the experimental phase, was at the nudist resort, you know? And what I found so fascinating is for these people that live there, you know, this thing that I thought was so exciting, which is the naked female body. I thought if I could only see this when I saw it in fifth grade, I was like, I, my problems must be solved because this is amazing. But actually, like, women don't think that about their own bodies. (laughs) They're like, I'm always asking you, I'm like, man, don't you think you're hot? Like, I just look at myself in the mirror and you're like, no, it's boring. And I'm like, Ah, and like, you know, when, when you're in a nudist resort or a nudist situation, it becomes less magical. And I'm not at a point where it's like not interesting at all to me, but I see it and I see what it's already done. My two experiences where I'm like, oh, it's like, it's not forbidden. And it's like, it's still interesting, but it's not as interesting. It's not as interesting as I thought it would be. Yeah. And some people might say oh, well, I want to always keep it magical. You know? (laughs) Like, the religious people would be like, oh, well, I want my wife's body to always be magical to me. And actually, I I felt that, too. Because our sexuality has changed in the last three years, and there's less magic. You know, because even with that, um, you know, that tweet that we read where, like, sex always needs to be love i think i had that kind of that vibe going with us like oh every time we have sex we're like making love yeah and it's like oh it's exclusive and it's saying this huge power-packed spiritual thing but i think it was a lot of it was fake or at least placebo and i'm fine with that if you want to make it placebo but i also want people to know that there's other ways and maybe one isn't necessarily right and one isn't necessarily wrong so to judge others for living another way, like maybe you're actually missing out too. Um, hmm. Okay, we have some questions we need to get to um, from the phone lines. Hi, Ben and Cami. Um, my name is Ashley. I'm from California. I started watching your YouTube uh for Rainier's birth video uh, when I was preparing to have my first baby, uh, which was almost three years ago. Um, So I've been watching you guys ever since, and I'm loving listening to your podcast. So thank you for all that you guys have um, put out there. Uh, I really enjoy it. Um, My question, I guess, is more for Cammie. So... We are, my husband and I, um, are currently in the trenches of still being newlyweds. Um, we've been married for almost four years now. And um, 
and and now we have an almost three-year-old, which is wonderful and difficult. And I'm a stay-at-home mom, and um, most of the time, like ninety percent of the time, the last thing that would even ever occur to me is want to have sex. Um, and I mean, sex is great. I've enjoyed it in the past. Orgasms are fun, but at this time, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly why, but I'm just so super not interested. And, um, so we have scheduled sex days so that my husband <laughs> gets his needs fulfilled. Um, and so that I, I have an expectation, um, about when it's going to happen and it's not always going to be spontaneous. Cause if it's spontaneous, my answer is always going to be no, at least right now. And so, um, we're working through that, but I guess my question is, how do you get to the good sex? <laughs> Cause you guys are talking about how now, you know, you guys are having really, really great sex, and that's so wonderful to hear, and that gives me a lot of hope for my future sex life, and um, I just, um, yeah, I just want to know how, how you got there. Um, I ordered Come As You Are uh, on Amazon after hearing you talk about it, so hopefully that'll help too, but um, yeah, I'd really like to hear more about Cammie's sex story and how she got to where sex is great now because for me right now it's just really hard and not all that enjoyable um so thanks and uh i look forward to listening to you more bye wow thank you for that message um i feel like i could have left that message 15 years ago (laughs) Only I don't think I would have because I was scared to death to talk about sex. So at least you have that. Um, she said she only doesn't think about sex 90% of the time, which means 10% of the time. She's, I know. That's amazing. That's like more so, than two hours a day. I know. That's great. Which, well, maybe the thought. The first know. thing I want to say is that I think it's okay that you don't want to have sex. And I say that because I feel like I know for me, I didn't even allow myself to feel that way. Even though that is how I felt, I thought that was that there was something wrong with me. Um, that, uh, yeah, I was broken somehow. And I just don't believe that anymore. Like, I, I think I just, yeah. Um, and. I mean, you having an almost three-year-old is a lot, you know, and I have a three-year-old right now and that touches me all the time and I don't, and my husband likes to touch me all the time and sometimes I'm just like, all right, enough of the touching. Um, But I just, to me, I don't think... Like hearing kind of your perspective of how you want great sex. Like, I don't think this is where you're always going to be at. Um, I just, the way I've seen my life work is that, you know, for a long time, like I ignored my problems and then I stopped ignoring my problems around sex. 
and I, and I, and I started to really kind of dig more, um, as to like what, why didn't I enjoy it as much? Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with shame for me. I don't know if that's the same for you, but, um, and these like lies that I, that I believed about my sexuality. And I'm really like, I think it's really cool that you, I was going to actually suggest for you to get come as you are, because to me, um, that book brought me a lot of perspective and hope as to there is not one size fits all with women's sexuality. Like there's so many different ones. Um, or men's. Yeah. Or men's. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, but I think we're kind of told that, okay, you're supposed to want sex all the time. And if you don't want sex all the time, then there's something wrong with you. Can I talk? Yes. I know she asked you. Yep. I think we need to define what great sex is. Yeah. I mean, if we're looking oh. at like Hollywood, yeah, we will be so disappointed with ourselves constantly. And when Cammie and I say that we have, I don't even know if we said we have great sex, but I think we, it's, it, it is safe to say we have the best sex we've ever had in our life mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, and what we mean when we say that is it's more consensual, more free, more shameless, more uninhibited, more vulnerable than ever. Yeah. That's what we mean by that. Yeah. But that only came from however many years of sticking with it and working through a bunch of stuff that sounds exactly like what your life sounds like. Yeah. And I think if you work on yourself as just a person, it's going to affect your sexuality. So thank you for that. Hello, Cami and Ben. I'm Kathleen, and I'm from Massachusetts. After listening to one of your recent podcasts, I was really interested to hear your guys' thoughts on marriage and monogamy. I think your perspective on it could be really interesting, and I hear like you've touched upon it a little bit before, um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about it. I'm currently in my early 20s, and I've been with my partner for about six years, so we're definitely reaching kind of this marriage conversation and talking about it, so I'd love to hear what value you guys get from it, and I really appreciate the podcast and your vulnerability in it, and I wanted to thank you guys for that. So looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Thank you. Hmm. Cool. Yeah what we think of marriage and monogamy. Was that her question? Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Um, You know, it is all we've known, and, well, not all we've known, but we got married when we were 20. So we don't have a lot of experience with, you know, whatever the opposite of that would be. Either, like, yeah, well, even what she was saying, like, being being with someone for six years. Not married. Not married. We would have felt but guilty th- about that But maybe they're monogamous, before. though. And ironically, I wanted to slip this in because Cammie was talking to one of her friends this last week. You want to share that story about what was said? I think I know what you're talking about. About 17-year-old. Yeah, my my friend, she was talking. She just made this statement that just kind of made me like be like, 
stop me in my tracks and be like, whoa. She said, 17-year-old sex is the best. And she's speaking from experience. I mean, now she's 40. And married. And married. With kids. With kids. But she didn't come from the really strict religious background that I come from. And so she had the experience of sex before marriage and sex when she was really young, 17. And to be honest, I'm like kind of mourning that I didn't have that and that I had so much shame and guilt and felt very locked up um, when it came to my own sexuality, especially at age 17. Which I don't think is knocking monogamy or marriage, but what we've realized is anything driven out of fear or shame or pressure is probably going to have some negative side effects. So even if you're getting married right now out of some weird like pressure to do it or fear or shame, I would say not that marriage is wrong or monogamy, but that motivation seems to have some negative side effects in our experience. Yeah, it may not be super helpful to you. And I'm in that same place where Cammie and I are both like ironically looking back and be like, man, I wish you would have screwed around more um, because not because screwing around, I think would have solved our answers, but living out of that shame we know from experience didn't solve our answers. So I, I want to just answer that straightforwardly, though, in favor of monogamy and marriage. Now that I've had it for this amount of time. Like I said, I, I actually am a huge fan. Um, it has brought a stability to my life and to our family's life and helped create this entity, this family that is probably the most single, most gratifying thing that I'm a part of and informative um, and formative into my life. Uh both my kids and my marriage. Um, I recently did a vlog where I shared my thoughts on Cammy for her birthday. Did you listen? To that? No, not fully. I need no. to. You know, if I you, want if to. You get around. I it. want to. But I meant it. And what I said was that you know, just having a partner and you and your loyalty has given me an incredible sense of companionship. That I think, you know, commitment does is va- incredibly valuable. You know, so I am a huge fan of that in its place done for the, especially done for the right reasons. Um, and I, I have never regretted once, although I, I do say, you know, I wish I would have done more. I, I've never once wished that I wouldn't have gotten married or remained faithful in the ways that at least we define it. I will say, though, I don't think monogamy and marriage is for everyone. It is what has worked for us. And we've seen some really amazing benefits from it. But I, I don't think it's for everyone. Great question, though. Yes. Hi, my name's Cliff from Florida. I'm all caught up on the podcast, been watching some of the blogs, found you all through the AT documentary. Uh, every year I look for documentaries of people hiking the long trails throughout the U.S. to, to watch. Um, just want to say thanks. Y'all have... Uh, been both entertaining and I think beneficial to me as I've listened. Um, and that's the main thing I want to do. I also just want to say I appreciate that uh, you you take a lot of effort to be honest and to not let the financial side of things drive you. And so I know you've downplayed that a lot, but but I also think um, 
that uh, I'm glad that you're monetizing your videos, and I think you should uh, maybe remind people that there's Patreon out there and that you have um, a goal as to what you want that to, to reach uh, at, at some point. I think in one of your videos you said three years from now you wanted to – anyway. Um, the uh, That's the main reason I want to call. I've got a bunch of questions, but I'm not going to ask any right now. And uh, I'll be calling back um, in the future, I think. Thanks a lot. Hmm. That's cool. That's cool. I really like that. Cliff, thanks for that message. Um, yeah, we, you know, I, the money thing is weird for me. We're just starting to turn that on, that mindset. And I haven't turned it on with the podcast yet. I think in my mind, we're at episode 32. And I'm thinking after 100, we'll, we'll you know, we'll start asking for you guys to contribute to this project. I feel like now I'm, it's helpful for me to just view it as like, we're learning how to podcast and we're not taking ourselves too seriously. And we are doing it for you guys. Like we are trying to give, but we're getting a lot just from this experience. Um, so I don't want to be like, I feel like there's a lot of people that are like, Oh, they start a podcast and they start a Patreon and they're like, Hey, fund my podcast that I started yesterday. And I'm like, who are you? Like, you don't have any, you know, like just focus on making good stuff. And I, I just want to focus on making honest, good stuff right now. And for me, it's helpful to not think about the money, but we do have a Patreon and we do have a Venmo account and we do have a PayPal account and we are trying to get chairs. And I do appreciate every dollar that people are um, giving us because we do have a goal that in three years, we have about three years worth of savings and in three years, we I would like to be able to fund our lifestyle with books, podcasts, and vlogs so that we can make this content for the rest of our life and not have to think about um, like getting a real job, basically. So thanks for that interest, Cliff. And I really do hope that you leave messages yeah. um, and ask other Bring questions. us your questions. W- one person, I, I, don't, I don't remember their name, because, but they... They called, and really the last 10 episodes, you guys have probably heard one question each episode from this person, and she left eight messages in one day. Whoa. She just left them all. Bang, 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 bang. And I spread them out over eight oh, episodes. Yeah. And people can do that. Like, you can just call and leave. Like, like our phone doesn't ring. It's like, goes straight to the internet thing. So you right. can just leave, write them down, and leave 10 in a row. And we just, like, create a queue. We pick the ones that are the most interesting. So far, we've been able to answer every one, I believe. Yeah. So, like... You know, you don't have to call once a month. Like, we would love to hear people's questions. Okay. This was a longer episode. One hour and 26 Talking minutes. Talking about sex and porn. Yeah. Yep. Man, I, I feel like... I feel like we should have, like, had all this thing, but watch out. Porn could be dangerous. And remember, guys, it's not real and all that. But I just feel like this is a different... You know, we're, we have a different type of vibe going. I don't where think that's my message right now. Yeah, and I, I hope you guys know we take love seriously. We take marriage seriously. I, I take God seriously. I even take the Bible seriously um, in a way. Um, there's a whole conversation about that, but it's not – I don't view it as the pri- primarily as a rule book anymore, and that's changed the way that we even approach it. Um, and we certainly take life seriously. So this, we didn't arrive at this methodology just from like, oh, fuck it. Like, let's do this. Um, and we take our cigars seriously. We definitely take those seriously. <laughs> fuck, you take them seriously. Too serious. Way seriously. <laughs> um, I'm going to toss a, 
I'm still, I still believe in shame in certain contexts. Um, so, oh, you know, I, I do understand that to a certain degree it can be dangerous, um, but I just think there's actually things that are more dangerous. And I think in our experience, like shame is one of those things that it's a son of a bitch too. And, you know, maybe I think it, that deserves some airtime. And I think I'm going to, we're going to bring that podcast to you eventually, maybe next week, if I can finish my, my book. Um, I want to talk about the hidden costs of shame. I don't know if that's going to be next week. That'd be two long sex podcasts in a row on these people. Okay. We'll give you a couple weeks off from sex. All right. Thanks guys. Do you need to tell them the number and stuff? Oh, yes, Cammy. Thanks for, <laughs> man. Uh, you really are a co-host. I am. Okay, everyone. Cammy is I a co-host. I just got promoted. She did her first whoop, whoop. Uh, hosted thing. Um, the phone number to leave a message or a question is 206-651-5744. I'm going to put that and as many links as I can remember to in the show notes. Um, you can check out that Peter Rollins um podcast if you're interested this podcast is available on itunes and google play and spotify and all sorts of other things um and there is a facebook discussion group also uh which you guys are going to be the ones that have to start discussions because i'm not doing that it's for you guys to meet each other and i would love to see a discussion start from this podcast if you're like screw that i don't uh like what Ben and Kenny said about that. I still think porn is wrong, and here's why. Like, great. Talk about it. That's That would make me very happy to see you share your honest feelings about that. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.